here, boy. <sighs> no, not that way. There's nothing important that way. Come on, you must be able to smell the corpse! Unless... It's been dead so long already that it doesn't smell like anything. It's not as if I ever knows with which to smell, now that I'm a freaking sword! I know how long a corpse takes to decompose. That's pretty essential knowledge for a necromancer of my abilities. The problem is, I don't know how much time has passed since I offed my own corporeal body and infused my consciousness into this... ridiculously over-ornate broadsword. Seriously, what is with this hilt? Emeralds, rubies, silverkill for sure. We get it, you're a plot-important weapon. Jeez. Of course, that's what I'm counting on. This stuff's like catnip for would-be heroes, and a would-be hero is just the kind of rube I need. If he would just walk into this room and find me already! What was I saying before I got distracted by my way too sparkly handle? Right, time. It turns out having a squishy meat brain is sort of important to experiencing its passage in a meaningful way. Could have been a week since I died. It could have been half a century. All I know for sure is that this lunkhead is the first one to be brave, or foolish enough, to enter my tower. That might have been a flaw in the plan, honestly. I spent almost a century building up a reputation for cruelty and dark magics. How long does it take a community to forget about something like that? How long before the truth fades into legend? A legend questionable enough to be overcome by lust for adventure. Or simple green, I suppose. Another potential pitfall. What if he's not a would-be hero? What if he's a simple grave robber looking to make a quick buck? What happens to my soul if someone decides to just melt this sword down and sell the precious gemstones? But no one will do that. A hero is obviously the best case scenario. But even the most jaded thief will recognize the value added by the craftsmanship and sell the whole piece. Even if I get sold a few times, I have no doubt I'll find myself being wielded eventually by someone sufficiently pliable for my needs. Finally, he sees me. His eyes widen. First with disgust at the corpse, and with something else as he spots me sticking out of it. A stone would have been preferable, of course. There's not a lot of legends about heroes who pull swords from dead necromancers, but there simply wasn't time for that. I had to die with a sword in me for the spell to work, and I didn't have an underling I trusted enough to move it someplace more... impressive. I feel his hand curl around the hilt. He wrenches me out of the decaying corpse. No blood or viscera comes along. A little self-cleaning enchantment to sell the legendary blade of heroic destiny bit. <laughs> I also added a faint glow. I thought about a beam of light and an angelic chorus, but... I decided that would be laying it on a little thick. A good showman understands the value of restraint. The look in his eyes tells me all I need to know. This is no grave robber looking to make a quick buck. This is a hero 
who thought he could slay the fabled necromancer Varathian and lucked out to find him already slain. I am exactly where I need to be. I won't speak to him yet. I need to learn a bit about his life first. I need to know which buttons to press. And more than that, I need him to trust me. Ideally, we win some battles together before he realizes I'm a talking magic sword. Ideally, he's already started thinking of me as a friend before a single word comes out of my... Of course, I don't have a mouth. That would be ridiculous. When I'm ready to speak, I'll do it directly into his mind. But first, I have some listening to do. The hero's name is Michael, and he is no hero. At least not yet. He was, until recently, employed as a stable boy in the house of some lord or other. The son or grandson of one of the men I killed when I was last alive. If I recall correctly, he sent wave after wave of heroes to try and slay me, including, perhaps, the previous owner of the sword my soul now calls home. Eventually, I got tired of killing all these mercenaries and decided to make an example of the one dispatching them. It seems this was a couple generations ago, which means the corpse Michael pulled me out of ought to have been quite far gone. Of course, Lord whatever his name was was never any kind of threat to me. Not with the resources a lowly village aristocrat could bring to muster. But eventually, word got around to the king... I guess you use enough villagers and life extension experiments, at some point someone beyond the local constabulary is going to take notice. Or maybe he was killing that aristocrat. All I know is, the caliber of heroes the king sent was rather higher. They killed my best minions. I realized I wouldn't be able to fight them forever. That's when I hatched this plan. The king's been dead for a while, I guess. That's fine. I'm happy to take revenge on the current one. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Aside from my ostentatious soul vessel, Michael took only one item from my tower. A ring. Not a magic one, even. Though, if he'd chosen either of the rings to the left or right of it in my drawer, that's what he would have gotten. But no. As luck would have it, he selected the perfectly normal, if rather striking, sapphire set in sterling silver. He meant it as a proposal gift for the Lord's daughter, Isabel. I believe he has loved her since they were children. This really is so narratively perfect. I couldn't have asked for a better hero if I'd chosen him myself. He offers his gifts. His suit is rejected. He tells her of how he journeyed to the Tower of Arathian and faced all sorts of traps and dangers and monsters to bring her this token of his love. She doesn't believe him. And in her defense, he is lying quite a bit. He understands that the best lies are those with a core of truth inside of them. He did journey to my tower. He was ready to face dangers. The dangers simply did not appear. But does that make him any less brave? It doesn't matter. She decided to marry the rich man her father has picked out for her. Despondent, Michael paces the woods outside the village. He swings me idly back and forth, parrying and thrusting at nothing before finally sticking my tip into the dirt and collapsing onto a stump in front of me. I don't understand, he says. I did everything she asked of me. I did everything the heroes in the storybooks do. How else can I show her how much I care about her? Now is the time. I reach into his mind. You didn't really face any dangers, though, did you? 
You came to Varathian's tower, but the sorcerer was already dead, slain by my old master. There were no traps, there were no monsters. You want the rewards of heroism. You must truly become a hero. But how can I do that? He asked. Varathian was the last real threat to this kingdom, and apparently he's been dead for years. Isn't a magic sword supposed to come with a quest? He's not shocked that his sword is speaking to him, because he believes that I am merely his own conscience, I think. Perhaps he's used to internal monologues that take the form of dialogues. Perhaps he's mad. I hope not, but I don't know. Regardless, I couldn't have asked for a better opening. Varathian yet lives. The body you saw was merely a vessel. He has transcended the need for that vessel. He exists elsewhere now. I can tell you how to find him. I can tell you how to destroy his soul. You see, I too understand the best lies of a core of truth. My hero looks at me greedily. He wants the girl, but more than that, he wants glory. He wants to be remembered. He wants to matter. In a way, I will give him all of those things. This will not be easy, I say. Varathian now resides in the body of the king. This episode, Holding Out for a Hero, was written by Nathan Comstock and performed by Zane Satchett. Audio editing and sound design by Ezra J. Wayne. Produced by Ezra J. Wayne and Talmanir.